0: Good morning! (laughs) How's everybody today? The gorgeous day. Beautiful. Yesterday was amazing, wasn't it? Um, I was thinking about names this week. I know it doesn't really sound like it has anything to do with what we're talking about today, but can anybody guess how many names I have? Four. Mm, At least four. I I was counting this morning, I counted at least twelve. So my first name is Barbara. Some people call me Barb. That's two. My last name is Jernigan. That's three, but it wasn't always Jernigan. It used to be Swan, like the bird. Um, My middle name, anybody know my middle name besides these three? Starts with an L. Close. Lynn, yeah, Lynn. And then there's that little Three-letter thing that we put in front of names, Mrs. And there's another three-letter thing that sometimes is in front of my name, Reverend. Um, And then there's what, Mom and Grammy. And then my kids at school call me Miss. Uh, But then there's teacher and friend and all kinds of names. And that made me think about the names we have for Jesus. How many names do you know for Jesus? Say them loud, I can't hear you. Lamb of God? Master? Savior? Louder, louder. Prince of Peace. So many of them. Emmanuel, God with us, the Word, Son of Man, Lamb of God, Adam I. Oh, that we get into whole one of those. <laughs> um, and then there's the Light of the World, right? That's what brings us to our scripture today. So I have. So, Jesus is the light of the world, (laughs) among many other things. But I noticed in the scripture reading, and maybe you noticed it too, when Mark read it, it says, you are the light of the world. But I thought Jesus was the light of the world. But this says, you are the light of the, who's who's the you he's talking to here? But there he's talking to the disciples. So we're gonna light a candle for the disciples because Jesus shared his word, his light with the disciples. Did the Jesus light get any smaller because the light was shared to the disciples? No, and then, From there, the disciples did what? They shared their light, the light of God's love, with others. Did the light get any less? In fact, it's getting more. Now, other people can get the light light of love right from Jesus, and then they can share it Others as well. And so it continues. And so not only is Jesus the light of the world, but the disciples, he said, were the light of the world. And that means that each and every one of us is the light of the world. Whether we get our light from each other or directly. Are still the light of the world. But what does that mean? What does that mean if we're the light of the world? Is it loud? I can't hear you outside. Okay, so we have a responsibility to shine God's love to the world. We need to, how do we do that though? Light the way, show the way. Okay, so I can say, well, here's the way to get to the church. Is that good enough? Love them. we got to do something about these masks. I can't hear people. <laughs> right, we need to share the love, the light of the love of God that's in us. It needs to glow from within us so that others can be uh, made aware of how much Jesus loves them. And we can... Show that love through things we do, the things we say, the way we act. We could do a kind deed for somebody. Even a smile or opening the door for someone shows that light of God's love, Jesus' love, into the world. If you're standing in line at the grocery store and you have a whole cart full of stuff, and the person behind you has three things, say, you know what, why don't you go ahead in front of me? That's showing God's light of love. Or if someone's zipping down the highway, pull over and let them pass because they must have some really important place to go. Uh, But there are a lot of ways that we can show. And you know what? The more we share, the more light there is. It doesn't diminish what we have inside of us. It doesn't diminish what Jesus gave us. It makes it grow. And pretty soon, this dark world that we live in will be aglow with the light of Jesus' love and God's love. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are the light of the world, but that you've also given that light to us. Help us be the light of the world so that we can share your love and your light in this dark world and bring others to know the love and the grace and the forgiveness that only you give. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, there are some uh, candles from Kathleen here if anybody wants one to take home. And I also have tea lights if anybody wants to take them home. You can come up at the end of the service and get them. Okay,
1: and I think I'm going to leave them
0: lit for now. We'll see how it goes.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the light that you are, that you shine through your word and through the life of your son into our hearts and out through our lives. We pray that today will be another step closer to you and shining brighter in the world. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we left um, us with Jesus on the mountain, and he was telling us that even relatively unimportant In the world, people like us, can be blessed. Even the poor, even the um, those who are grieving, even the meek can be blessed. So I don't know if any of you are like me, but I sometimes learn best by talking back. (laughs) Um, This doesn't always, this isn't always a good quality. If you tell me that I am doing something wrong, I am probably going to come up with some sort of self-justification. I'll get defensive and I'll and I'll start explaining why I really wasn't wrong in that. This is tricky because sometimes I'm really not wrong, but because I do the same thing when I am wrong and when I'm not wrong, it's sometimes hard to tell which is which. Um, I'm working on this trait. <laughs> but part of what this... Is Part of it is we don't like to be told that we did something wrong, but part of what it is, some of us are external processors and we don't actually know what we think until we've said it out loud and kind of let the words float out and see how other people respond to it. And I am this kind of person. So when I was in school, I was the kid that would, the teacher would be teaching from the front and I would be making little comments to the kid next to me and the side, and then the kid would, like, usually I would say something funny, and the kid would laugh, and they would get in trouble. Um, And then I would get, and not me, I I was listening, because I was listening. This was how I was learning, legitimately. Sorry for all the kids that I got in trouble. (laughs) I feel like if I were literally sitting on the mountain with Jesus, and he was preaching this sermon on the mount, um, I would probably have done something similar. Today, we're going to get into part of this passage. We're not, I, I should say, we're not going to dig into the Sermon on the Mount in a whole lot of detail because we had a whole series on it two years ago, and we'll probably dig into it in some other fashion in a future year. Um, we're kind of doing an overview, but today's passage is important because it sets the stage for what Jesus is trying to communicate, and he says stuff that actually would be really challenging for someone like me and maybe some people like you and definitely the people that were sitting there with him because on some level we believe that, I think most of us here, believe that we are part of the people of God. And so this is one reason why Um, Some of you may be wondering why I keep talking about how the Gospel of Matthew, which is what we're looking at as a whole, for those of you who are visiting or new here, um, why I keep talking about how Matthew wrote specifically to the Jewish people who had not yet accepted that Jesus Christ was their Messiah. The reason this is important for us, most of whom don't have a Jewish background, is on some level... Most of us Gentile Christians have come to associate ourselves with the Jews as the people of God. And in Jesus the Messiah, this is right. This is accurate. We Gentile followers of Jesus, the Bible tells us, have been grafted into the vine of God, which is Jesus Christ. And we know that among the true people of God, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. So, on that basis... The history of the Jews is our history. We talked a few weeks ago about how adoption is a real thing. This is the same kind of thing. The Jewish history, as recorded in the Old Testament, is our history, and so therefore their scripture is our scripture. This is one reason why the passage that we're looking at today is important, because Jesus says he didn't come to abolish scripture, and that's the scripture he's talking about. The New Testament hadn't been written yet. He was living it. And so he's talking about that scripture. He did not come to do away with the Old Testament. We need to know, as followers of Jesus, as people who have been grafted into the vine, we need to know the first part of the Bible, because it pertains to us, too. And when we listen to this passage of Jesus talking to these Jewish people in Galilee on this mountain, we need to keep in mind that when he's talking, we, I think we sometimes read the Sermon on the Mount and we just apply it to ourselves as individuals, which we need to do, it's about that. But it's also about the people of God as a whole. So it matters how we as a community are living out these things. And it's important for us to connect with this Jewish part of this because what Jesus is saying here was startling to these people because they believed they were already part of the people of God. And I think it's really easy for some of us, especially if we've been Christians since we were kids, um, we know that we are Christians because of Jesus Christ, but it's really easy to get into a worldly mindset and lose kind of the punch of what Jesus is actually saying here. This could actually be surprising to us, too, not just to these people. Because when we are identifying as the whole people of God, we not, we not only share the Jewish history and we share the Jewish scripture, but we also sometimes start to adopt the Jewish values. And Jesus doesn't play by our rules, even when we think they're God's rules. Because Jesus is the only one who can interpret them correctly. Jesus himself is the Word of God. And so it's important, as the people of God, to be constantly on the alert that we're not playing accidentally on empire's team. Empire is the term that we're using in this sermon series to talk about the both the personal sinful nature and kind of the world forces that may include demonic forces but also societal forces that um, are opposed to God. It's really easy to get sucked into empire without realizing it. So part of what Jesus is saying in this sermon is political but not maybe in the terms that we are thinking. He never played into the political agenda of either the Jews or the Romans. Ever. His politics were about the kingdom. And kingdom politics are not like anything on earth. To this day, there is no government, no political entity, no nation on earth that demonstrates what the kingdom of God looks like yet still. Not one. And unless and until one does, it is not God's nation. God's kingdom and his people are the people on earth of every tongue, every tribe, every nation who love and follow Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah. The people of Jesus' day, listening to him on the mountain in Galilee, were expecting him to be the exact kind of Messiah who, in our day, would kick the non-Jews out of the country. In their day, they wanted that, too. They wanted the Romans out. Today, you could say the nation of Israel want the Palestinians out. If bombs and mosques existed back then, the people sitting with Jesus on the mountain, most of them would have wanted Jesus to be that kind of Messiah. And they probably didn't expect that their opinions, their personal opinions would make much difference, like they're in Galilee, nobody cares about Galilee, but they would support whoever would accomplish those. Matthew's record of this sermon of Jesus is specifically for those of us who believe we are the people of God and who already think we understand what the kingdom of heaven is supposed to look like. Jesus is starting to describe, he's been preaching the kingdom of God, John the Baptist was preaching the kingdom of God, they were both saying, repent, the kingdom is near, now he's saying, it's here, this is what it looks like. It doesn't look like empire. And so in today's passage, Jesus is outlining how we relate to the world, and the fact that he has fulfilled scripture, and then in the part that Mark didn't read, but that's the rest of chapter 5, how we are to fulfill scripture like him in how we relate to the world. So, how do we how are we supposed to relate to the world? We're supposed to be salt and light. And Barb did a great job explaining the light part, especially how that works. Jesus is the source of light, but when we take Jesus into our lives and radiate him out, his light increases. It doesn't get less, it increases. So that's the point of the chosen people of God. These qualities of salt and light are inviting qualities. They're hospitable qualities. This is not what the people in Jesus' day were looking for. They were looking for, let's purify this nation. Let's get these outsiders actually out. But Jesus is talking about something that draws more people in. You are the salt of the earth. Salt brings out the flavor that already exists in the food. The food has its own flavor. The salt enhances it and brings it out. Salt also keeps things from going bad. Back before there were refrigerators, we I mean, I still do a lot of pickling and canning. I'm sure some of you do too. Um, you can salt things. You can ferment things to keep them edible, longer. Salt also does that. But, Jesus says, if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. When I was a kid, I used to hear that verse, and I thought, that doesn't make any sense. Salt is salt. Like, that's what it is. (laughs) How can it not be salty? Then what is it? That's the question, right? How can something lose its own essence? Can the people of God lose our essence? Have we lost our essence? It's an open question. Jesus doesn't actually resolve the question, he just kind of throws it out there. If I were sitting there in the crowd, I'd be like, How can
0: salt not be salty?
1: (laughs) And he's not going to answer it for me because I have to wrestle with that question for myself. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. So even today, and even back then, if you built a city on a hill, everybody can see it. Not even in the dark, everyone can see it in the light. It's up there, it's on a hill, it's, it's a city, it's visible. And at night, when you see the lights from the city, that's a welcome to weary travelers. Or it should be. It can be. So Jesus says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Me, sitting on the mountain. Why would you put a light under a bowl? (laughs) Why why are we even talking about this? That makes no sense. (laughs) Well, why are we talking about it? Unless this is what has been happening among the people of God at that time, maybe at this time. If scripture is not abolished and it's for today and this is now part of our scripture, we have to ask ourselves these questions too. Are we putting our light, which is Christ's light, under a bowl somehow? In the same way, this one's a little nicer. Jesus kind of gives some hope that You don't have to keep your light under a bowl. In the same way, don't keep your light under a bowl. Let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. N.T. Wright says, Jesus is calling the Israel of his day to be Israel indeed, now that he is here. Israel was the people through whom God intended to shine his bright light into the world's dark corners. Not simply to show up evil, but to enable people who were blundering around in the dark to find their way. But, what if the people called to be the light bearers had become part of the darkness? So how are we supposed to kick the bowl off and shine again? The law and the prophets. Jesus immediately jumps to this. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. This is kind of important for him to say because he has just kind of indicated that these people that he's called together, that he just affirmed that they could be blessed, now maybe they're actually not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So what is he going to say? They're not the people of God? The law is bad? Like, what's What's the deal here? No, I didn't come to abolish the law or the prophets indirectly. I didn't come to abolish the people of God. Totally the opposite. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Here's something to think about. We talk here a lot about how the gospel is about reconciliation. Now when, we, when we sin, that causes giant cracks and rifts between us and God, first of all and then us and each other, and then us and the rest of creation, but also in us ourselves. And when we talk about, in the past, when we've talked about the rift within ourselves, a lot of times I've kind of um, interpreted that as, like, mental health issues, which some of us um, wrestle with from time to time, or a lot. Uh, But I also think that this rift within ourselves describes the way, the tendency that we have to compartmentalize things. So we're at church, right? And then we have our work life, and then we have our home life, and we might have some hobbies that are somehow not connected to any of those three things, or maybe not. Um, And we talk a lot about, you know, work-life balance and make sure that have boundaries, and those things are actually important, and Jesus does that in a different way, but Jesus also came to make us whole people, so that we are consistent through and through, and he's doing this in the rest of chapter five, when, so he says, I didn't come to abolish the law and the prophets, and then later he says, you have heard that it was said, meaning in the Bible, but I tell you. And he interprets that part of the Old Testament in a way that the people listening to him were not expecting. And the way that he does it actually helps self-integrate. It blends, because he's... If I read the Ten Commandments, and it says, thou shalt not kill. I've never killed anybody. So I can chop off the spiritual part of me that has maybe really not been really cruel to somebody or in my, even in my mind. And Jesus is merging all that stuff together and saying all of that is part of the same thing. So, the law and the prophets are fulfilled when we obey them out of our whole selves. The law and the prophets say don't murder, but we murder people through our disrespectful, dehumanizing words and sometimes our thoughts. The law and the prophets tell us to worship God, but true worship requires us to be reconciled to each other. If you don't know what I'm referring to, um, go back and read all of chapter 5 after this service. This is basically outlining what Jesus says in the rest of this chapter. The law and the prophets forbid adultery, but we commit adultery by our lustful thoughts or by ending our covenanted marriages. The law and the prophets forbid taking God's name in vain and making empty promises, and yet every time we swear by something or make an empty promise and then go back on it, we end up doing one or both. The law and the prophets talk about balanced justice, but to be truly godlike. We oppose oppression with peace, kindness, and welcome. We love our enemies, which doesn't just mean we don't bomb the heck out of them, but it also means we don't just like them or just tolerate them or just even ignore them. Somehow we have to find a way to love them. Jesus is basically saying, don't assume just because you are God's people, just because you know the law and the prophets, that you know what they really mean. I'm not throwing these commandments out. I'm living them and telling you what they really mean, and I am the only one who can. It turns out that Jesus is an equal opportunity offender, because I'm pretty sure at least one of the things on the list, and probably more than one, is gonna hit, hit us some way or other. We've done one of those things, and I could probably talk my way out of any of them, but I would be lying, which would then just go to show <laughs> that I couldn't keep the law either, right? If we've experienced abuse, trauma, or oppression, turning the other cheek, not resisting an evildoer, forgiving, loving, is impossible with Jesus' help. And that's not just on an individual level. Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who are being oppressed by the Roman Empire. So he's not just talking about, in your daily interactions, if someone's mean to you, just be nice back. He's talking about... When there's this group of people that doesn't have a right to be in charge of you, and they are, still go the extra mile. This is hard. Or if we get our sense of self-worth from putting other people down, or if we struggle with lust, or if we're divorced, or if we don't actually actively seek reconciliation from those we have wronged, or if we make promises too easily and break them, or if we throw God's name around loosely and don't try to justify ourselves, like I'm always trying to do, if if we think about this stuff, and we realize that it touches us, and we acknowledge that it does, this really familiar passage can be kind of hard to take. Is there anyone in here who's not included in any part of this list? (laughs) Yeah. So Jesus says, Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the last of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So there's one difference between us and the Jewish people of Jesus' time. They don't actually know that Jesus is going to die on the cross and that his death is going to take the consequences for our sin and his righteousness is going to be put on us. And so, because we do know that, and it's true, We are not saved by our good works. We're not saved by perfectly observing any of the rules on this list. Because that's true, it could be really easy to say, Jesus says, if you teach these wrong or if you don't do them, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. Well, at least I'm in the kingdom of heaven, right? No one's going to be perfect until the fulfilled kingdom of heaven, until Jesus comes back. We're not going to be perfect. I'm not perfect. Right. However, the kingdom of heaven is reconciling work. We show that we are in it. We don't earn our place in it, but we prove that we're in it. As we more and more reconcile our spirits and our bodies and our minds together with the word of God, as Jesus fulfilled them. And as we increasingly get reconciled in ourselves, we start automatically doing reconciling work on all the other places. If, if I am a whole person inside, and I am more and more able to do these things that Jesus said by his power, then that's going to make me more loving. If I am not retaliating against someone who is unkind to me, That is reconciliation work, because people don't expect that. And that draws people together. So Jesus says, For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. This is interesting. At the beginning of the sentence and at the end of the sentence, Jesus says, until. Until heaven and earth disappear, this law is not going anywhere, until everything is accomplished. Jesus is really serious about this. The law is not going anywhere. The whole scripture is the whole word of God, and if we belong to Jesus, we may not ignore the Old Testament because he is its fulfillment. And yet, if we belong to Jesus, we also have no business interpreting either it or the New Testament without the filter that comes from a relationship with Jesus Christ himself not just the knowledge of his death and resurrection, but the way that he fulfilled and continued the word, the law and the prophets in his life and teaching and the way that we experience it as we connect with him in relationship. This is the challenge for the people of God in all times and all places to know his written and living word intimately To know the scripture, not just so it fills up our heads, and we can recite all of them every verses, but to know it in a way that connects us to Jesus, and so that he can show us what it really means. What it's supposed to come out like in our individual lives, and in our lives as a church, and in our lives as the Christian church around the world. When we get to know Jesus himself, we also get to know scripture in such a way that both it and he become part of who we are. And that changes how we perceive everything that happens around us. It changes how we think about it. It changes how we act accordingly. This is the only way the salty flavor and the preserving power and the light will be part of who we are. And the world needs this. This is how, by the power of Christ, we be perfect. Because Jesus says, for I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, this is the first place Jesus even mentions the scribes or the Pharisees. It's the first place he even acknowledges them. We don't know that there's going to be issues between them yet. Um, And it almost sounds like he's complimenting them. He's saying, these guys are doing a really good job, but you're not going to get into the kingdom if you're not doing it better than them, which by implication means they're not getting into the kingdom. That's, That's fighting words. Our righteousness really genuinely comes only through Jesus Christ. The question is, does it? When we trust in Jesus' life and death and resurrection, his own righteousness covers us and reconciles us to God. But if that has really happened, it's not going to stop there. It doesn't just cover us up and we stay the same exact person that we were with the same grudges and anger and dishonesty and all of that stuff. It changes us. The point of being reconciled to God is to be transformed into his image so that we can bring his image to the world, like those candles right there, and it can be reconciled to God, too. The better we get to know Jesus, the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, the more our righteousness, the righteousness that we ourselves do, comes from him, too. Fulfilled in Jesus' own people, our light will shine as we connect with him so that others will see our good works, which is really Jesus' righteousness, and glorify our Father in heaven.